This is the Daily Chain Podcast, a community-based discussion where we talk with key crypto personalities and projects, helping you navigate the opportunity ahead. Daily Chain Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Eterbase. Eterbase are a new digital asset exchange looking to compete with premium membership packages that provide real returns and benefits for members, including Eurobase stablecoin airdrops, as well as negative trading fees. So effectively, you get paid to trade. Eterbase are compliant and able to provide fiat on-ramp services with dedicated IBANs for users. No expense has been spared when it comes to security of the exchange or the users. Be sure to check out eterbase.com. E-T-E-R-B-A-S-E.com. Today we have Sam Bankman-Fraid, founder and CEO of FTX and Almeida Research. FTX is a crypto derivatives exchange and Almeida Research is a market maker and liquidity provider that trades between 500 million and 1 billion per day. I really enjoyed talking with Sam. He's a very experienced trader and he's built an exchange from a trader's perspective. I like FTX. You should definitely check it out. Listen to the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Excellent. Thanks for joining us today, everyone. Uh, Really excited uh, with my guest on the podcast. It is Sam from FTX Exchange, uh, previously from Almeida Research or or still at Almeida Research. We'll get Sam to clarify that for a moment. So I'm sure you guys would have all seen uh, FTX Exchange, lots of news. Uh, They kind of came into the public eye. I think it was probably about a month or two ago, uh, Sam, when you did that online live trade which really brought you guys to the the front of the uh, news cycle or sphere or community and whatnot i really love that can you tell us a bit about that yeah so so i'm guessing you're talking about the uh, the you know binance bitcoin seller yeah uh, yeah yeah so um so yeah you know i like a, a month or two ago there is a seller of a bunch of bitcoins on binance and um we sort of you know we being being alameda research um we're, you know, we're a cryptocurrency quantitative trading firm. So we were trading markets at the time and just sort of filmed what went on when that happened and, and you know, what we did, how we responded to it. And, uh, and then, you know, uploaded that film. And so you sort of can see a live look into what trading is like at, at a quant trading firm during, you know, a pretty busy time. Yeah, I think that was key because, you know, the daily chain comes from the crypto Twitter community, basically very, you know, grassroots retail traders. And I think it was absolutely key for you to share that kind of material and see what actually happens in a real professional environment. And uh, I think the community responded well to it. Yeah, I, I got a ton of interesting response. I'm pretty happy I did. And uh, I think it's also, you know, it's a thing that I think isn't out there very much watching sort of, you know, professional traders react to react to things and, and actually just live filming what they're doing for, for a lot of reasons, you know, IP being a big one of those. So um, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun doing it. And it, it was sort of a nice example of, of, you know, a time when I think that, you know, there's sort of a lot going on, but none of it was extremely, you know, IP sensitive or secret or anything like that. A lot of it was just like, you know, in the moment, how do you, you know, how do you react? How do you make decisions? 
under fire and uh, you know, sort of managing capital and things like that when everything's going crazy. Yeah, well, it's a good lesson, a good watch. If any um, of our listeners haven't seen it, I definitely recommend you find it. I'll post the link in the show notes, but it's a good window into what actually happens. And, and as Sam just said, how you need to be fluid and, and respond to that moment in time. So, you know, I, I, I usually start the podcast with this question or, or in, in I want to understand, you know, we're all here for one reason or something brought us to this, this crypto sphere. And, and that's the big orange coin, the honey badger, Bitcoin. So, you know, I want to understand what is Bitcoin to you, Sam? What does it mean to you philosophically? Or is it just an instrument? You know, tell me a bit about that. Yeah. So I obviously, you know, when I, uh, or, I don't know, obviously, but you know, when I, when I first got involved in crypto, um, it really was just sort of a, another thing to trade. I'd been trading uh, internationally ETFs on Wall Street for about three years uh, before I, I, I started trading crypto in 2017. And you know, the big reason that I jumped in was that it just seemed like there's a ton of good trading opportunities there. That there was you know a ton of customer demand, a ton of activity, um, but not that much liquidity being provided. Uh, pretty immature ecosystem. And really serve an opportunity to to come in and be sort of a you know professional trading firm in the space in a way that there just weren't that many of you know a few years ago, um, and and you know the biggest thing that I was looking at was just like you know large arbitrage opportunities. Um, so, uh, so, so sort of you know my my introduction to the space, and obviously you know the more time that I've spent here, the more I've sort of gotten involved in crypto, and you know I had time to sort of. I sit down and think about you know the actual products uh, that we're trading here, you know both both Bitcoin and obviously the you know sort of long tail of other coins, and uh, and sort of get get really familiar with you know not just what they are and how they work, but how they're being used right now in the world and where people see them. Um, and I think that like one thing that's become really obvious is that it means pretty different things in different places, and that you know if you look at what sort of, you know, Bitcoin means in, in America, it's, you know, for a lot of people, it's just a thing to trade. And for, for a lot of other people, it's, um, you know, maybe sort of uh, something that they believe in ideologically. Um, but I think that it's still sort of searching out like what its actual functional place would be. Mm-hmm. Whereas you go to a lot of other countries, uh, especially countries that have, you know, less built out economic systems, and you see it having a lot more use. You see it, you know, showing up in a lot more places, not just as a speculative or philosophical instrument, but as you know, an actually useful one. And and I think that you know, you start to you know see a lot more instances of people feeling like, boy, I don't, you know, it's it really is, uh, you know, the easiest way for me to to store my money, to move it around, uh, to do some transaction I want to do. You know, especially when you look in countries where the uh, you know the national currency is, is a controlled currency. It's not free to move around. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not free to bring out of the country. And where you know the sort of general economic system, including you know payment options like credit cards, uh, including banking and everything else, are just sort of less built out and developed, and uh, and have a lot less of the functionality that you need. Yeah, look, and I think you've definitely uh, hit the nail on the head there. Bitcoin is so many things to different people. Uh, to you, it's an opportunity to you know expand on your career in the financial markets and, and look at an instrument where you can build liquidity and build a trading engine and whatnot. But to someone else, it's a very useful instrument that means they can 
have a store of value, which means they don't, they can kind of opt out of the traditional systems, right? Um, so yeah, good answer. And I guess that's a, a good good segue into my next question. Um, you know, you're obviously not from Asia originally, but can you tell us a bit about why you've based yourself out of Hong Kong? Yeah. So I think there are a lot of things that came together that, uh, cause, you know, we didn't, we didn't start out here, but, but at this point, you know, I am out here, you know, most of the time we have, we have an office here um, and, and a lot of our employees here. And I think that like, there, there are a lot of things that came together to make this happen. I think, you know, one of the things was that if you look at the regulatory climate in, in different places, I crypto, it, it sort of, uh, you know, it's a thing that a lot of governments are still trying to figure out how to regulate um, and still trying to figure out, you know, how they're going to interface with it. And it's not even so much, you know, what to allow is how to allow it as what's the, you know, anti-money laundering, know your customer uh, regulation going to look like for crypto? How is risk going to be managed? How do they think about custody? You know, all of these different things. Um, and uh, you know, what licensing is required? Do they need to build out new licenses just for crypto? Um, and because of that, you know, different different governments are sort of allowing different sorts of things. And, you know, I think uh, you see in general in Asia uh, a much more sort of, uh, you know, an attitude which is much more favorable to products that they haven't yet fully developed the regulation for. And so that's definitely part of it. Um, and then another thing is that because a lot of the use for, for crypto is in Asia, you know, when you look at the places where people don't, you know, don't feel comfortable just using their government's native currency, when you look at the places where people are looking at an alternate way to store or, or move their wealth, you know, you start to look at a lot of countries that are, you know, either in Asia or, you know, some extent in South America. And so because of that, you know, a lot of our customers are out here. Um, there's a huge amount of crypto activity out in Asia and it just made sense for us to be closer to where our customers were. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it makes sense. That, you know, these guys are so far ahead of the West when it comes to digital payments and digital currencies, whether it's crypto or not. These guys have been using QR codes uh, for a long time and, you know, it makes yeah. sense for you know, liquidity providers to be over there because that's probably where the best liquidity is going to be, right? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. And, you know, obviously you can do this from afar, but you actually get a lot out of being able to meet with people, uh, you know, face to face. Oh, 100%. I wish I could have flown to uh, Hong Kong to see you and do this in person, Sam. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> next time, maybe. Next time. Next time. <laughs> so, uh, it, that's that's a good point to the next um, question. I guess it, it is really hard to run a derivatives platform out of a lot of countries, and yep. it's probably why you're regulated in Antigua. Antigua, sorry. Um, you know, what do you think needs to change, or, or what do you think needs to happen in you know the traditional fi financial markets like London, um, New York, for, for for that to change? I think the biggest thing is just like developing a for, full regulatory framework, including all the details. Um, and, you know, in some cases, that's that's pretty doable right now, but there's a lot of sticking points. And I think a lot of that is things like margin and leverage, you know, thinking about how, uh, you know, what, you know, who should be eligible to do margin trading, what risk controls on that uh, should look like, thinking about which, uh, you know, which government agencies have jurisdiction over, 
you know, which, uh, which different types of trading, you know, what is crypto? Is it a currency, a commodity, you know, a security, a utility, like, like, you know, what are these things? And, you know, in some sense that that's a meaningless question, like these are all just words, but when you're trying to design regulation, it becomes pretty important because you don't just want this free for all where each government agency comes up with different standards and no one can figure out what to do. And so some of this is just figuring out, well, who's actually going to figure this out? Who's going to have actual purview over this? So you know, that's sort of another thing that has to happen. Then people have to figure out, uh, well, what sort of information do you need to collect? How do you ensure someone isn't engaging in something like money laundering through crypto, which obviously is, you know, is harder, especially when you look at, at things like, like privacy coins. What sort of, you know, customer, uh, you know, agreements you have to have you know, what they have to acknowledge, especially when they're trading things that, you know, uh, what if they're trading something that might be a security. And so I think there's just, you know, a ton of details to work through here um, to figure out exactly what the process is to be able to trade or to, to trade crypto and to be able to offer that trading to customers, especially when you start involving, you know, derivatives and margin and coins other than the top two coins. Yeah, sure. And and I guess as a business, you know, whether it's you're, you've got your Alameda research hat on, your FTX hat on, do you have teams that are positive, positively contributing to um, regulatory activities and working with the regulators? Or is that something you're looking to do? So we, you know, we've had a few cases where we've, uh, you know, produced material, you know, with an eye towards helping out, uh, you know, regulatory bodies. Uh, you know, to understand the space, I think our, our volume monitor is, is sort of one example of that, um, which which is sort of a, a tool we built to monitor, you know, where is real volume coming from mm-hmm. um, that tries to, you know, filter out all the, you know, wash trading and things like that um, from from a lot of the exchanges. Um, and so that's, you know, one thing that that we've done. But But by and large, I think that it's a lot of this is sort of a wait and see approach, you know, waiting to get guidance from regulators as they figure out what their stances are going to be. Yeah, I, I think that is the way to go. And, you know, we're quite fortunate in the UK that the FCA have kind of taken a sandbox approach to it and, you know, a wait and see, let the community contribute and uh, we'll let them sort it out themselves. However, they have recently suggested that they might ban derivatives trading for retail investors. Uh, what, what would your thoughts be on that? It wouldn't shock me. I mean, I think that like a lot of countries are not sure how they feel about retail traders doing derivatives or margin trading. And, and you know, different, a lot of countries have taken instead of the wait and see approach, the, you know, sort of the, you can't do this until we have a framework for it approach. And I think some of this is also a risk reward trade-off, you know, I think some of this is basically government agencies feeling like, boy, like there's this huge headache that comes along with allowing fully fledged crypto trading. And what, what do we get for it? Like, why are we doing this? What's our actual goal here? It's obviously crypto feels like a giant industry from the inside, but from the outside, a lot of regulators are looking at this and saying like, look, crypto market cap is a fraction of Amazon. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why should we be devoting a large fraction of our financial regulatory infrastructure this one sector that's you know smaller than than you know even the biggest individual companies in our country you know is it really worth it yeah exactly and and you know you've got a lot of uh, a lot of experience in those legacy markets you know with your work at jane street capital and, and international etfs and you've probably still got a lot of relationship with those guys how, how do they look at crypto is it still 
you know, like we just inferred, just a drop in the ocean, it's not really worth their time to even consider? I think it's somewhere in between. Like, it, you know, it is just one asset class amongst many. It does still have a way higher profile than you would guess just by looking at its size, um, which is consistent with, you know, all across the world. It's gotten a ton of publicity given the sort of market size. And, and you know, that's true in traditional finance as well. Uh, but it doesn't mean that people have really, that, that people really fully dove into uh, trading it in traditional finance. You know, you see a lot of places getting their feet wet, but but also a lot of hesitancy. Yeah, well, it's understandable considering we don't know what's going to happen from a regulatory point of view. So, you know, a lot of these businesses would potentially build out desks and operations and whatnot only for it to be shut down in a couple of years and be a complete waste of money. So I think exactly. trepidation is the right approach. Uh, I, I think that's ac- that's absolutely right. And so you see that, like, you know, there actually aren't that many, uh, you know, traditional institutional players who have, you know, really been doing, you know, anything more than exploratory work. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we're talking about how the numbers seem small externally, but internally it's quite huge. And, and there was, you know, over $1 trillion in trades reported on BitMEX alone last year. So that's, you know, quite quite an order of magnitude larger yeah. than, you know, anything previously. But like we're referring to just now it's a very young market with with orders of magnitude to grow you know i I like ftx i like what they're doing they seem really good the the interface is great you know what exactly are you planning on doing to take some of that market share and and you know go to the front yeah so i think that you know the biggest things are and first of all just sort of redesigning a lot of different parts of you know the crypto derivatives experience from the ground up and so you know, rethinking how margin collateral should work, what the, the you know, structure of the products should be like, um, what the liquidation mechanism should be like, and trying to patch a lot of the issues with the existing platforms, you know, which have meant like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of funds lost to clawbacks in the last year. You know, it's meant that, like, there are a lot of really high profile instances of matching engines not being able to keep up with the volume. Mm. Um on a lot of derivatives platforms, you need to separately collateralize each position with different wallets, which is a huge pain, and just a lot of other things that come up. And so, you know, we have a uh, cross margin between all of the products. Um, we have stable coin based USD settlement, um, which basically just lets people, uh, you know, maintain one single margin wallet for all of their positions. It also means that, uh, that we can have normal non inverted futures where it's a true, you know, EOS USD future instead of like a inverted future or quanto future or something like that, because okay. we do settle in all, you know, in dollars. And then the last thing is just launching a bunch of products that other people don't have. So, uh, you know, index futures are an obvious addition to the space. You know, a lot of people want to be able to trade an altcoin index future. Yeah, to, yeah you're stealing my thunder, Sam. That was one yeah, of my I'll, next questions. I'll, I, I'll, I love I'll, that product. That that, <laughs> I, you know. So. I definitely want to hear all about that because, you know, lots of people, more mature investors, so to speak, don't have time to look at all the, you know, countless crypto projects. And an index coin was my first foray into um, crypto all those years, a couple of years ago, something called C20. Um, And it's basically a basket of the top 20 funds weighted. Um, So, yeah, index futures, I, I think, are great. So I definitely want to hear more about those. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so one of, one of the, the big things that, you know, a lot of people have a demand for is like, you know, maybe they think that 
you know, mid cap coins are going to outperform. They think they're going to generally, you know, a lot of them are going to kind of, you know, jump up to be in the top, you know, the top echelon of coins, but they don't know, you know, which of the hundred of them in particular will be. Or maybe you think that, you know, shit coins are going to zero, you want to short them. But again, not only do you not want to bother trading 200 coins, and not only would you lose a lot of money because the spreads are super wide on all of them, but uh, you can't even short sell most of them. Um, or maybe you want you think some particular ICO project is pretty cool, so you want to buy a lot of that, but hedge by you know selling you know shit coins in general, so that you're not just like exposed to to low cap coins in crypto. And and so what you really want is some way to trade a basket of them at once. Um, and so we built you know right now we have three index features. We have an altcoin, uh, mid cap, and a shitcoin index feature, and they're you know derivatives products that expire to a basket of of coins, you know, of different sort of ranges of market cap, um, and that you can get, you know, 100x leverage long or short on. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I, you know, index investing, you know, some people, especially traders, might think it's lazy, but when we're in such a young market and you've got a traditional investor who maybe wants an exposure of 1%, half a percent, or something like that, an index future is probably a good way to go to get some exposure. I, I love the quote from um, John Bogle is uh, don't look for the needle in the haystack, just buy the haystack. Um, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, if you think that, you know, your full-time job is finding the needle in the haystack, then, then yeah, that should be what you do. But if instead you're just trying to say, look, I think that like in general, you know, altcoins are going to do well. I think they're going to recover against Bitcoin. Then I, uh, you know, rather than getting super exposed to a particular one, you probably just want to buy an index of them. Yeah, makes things a whole lot simpler. So Binance made their meteoric rise um, by probably targeting retail investors. Do you target retail specifically or institutional or is it a mix? What's, what's your strategy there? Yeah, so, you know, ultimately we'd like to go after all traders. I don't think that we're designing the platform, you know, specifically for for one type but i do think that sort of the easiest traders to get at the beginning have been sort of the mid-sized traders um you know they've been the traders that uh we that you know the sort of large otc desks looking to hedge their deltas large retail traders small quantitative trading firms um and you know a lot of the reason here is that uh those are the traders that you know first of all they're sort of somewhat discerning when it comes to platforms they really do want you know, a better product. Um, some of this is that they're in general uh, pretty, you know, pretty eager to scope out new products. Some of it is that they really want liquidity. And one nice thing about FTX is that it, you know probably has the most liquid order books in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so, you know, that's been where a lot of the early growth was. You know, since then we've also built out the Chinese community a lot. So we now have you know something like ten thousand Chinese users, um, and we've been you know preactively growing out you know, both amongst retail and, and for sort of professional trading firms there. Um, and, you know, I think that it's going to come in in sort of, you know, common fits. There's going to be, you know, little bits of growth in various places at various times. But, uh, but ultimately, we do sort of want it to make it the trading platform that works for everyone. Yeah, well, you know, it's a massive market out there. There's room for lots of uh, different competing exchanges. But, uh you know, as long as you get the model correctly, uh, correct, then you'll, you'll have luck. And I, I like what you're doing. And further to that, um, I, I really like the exchange tokens, you know, 
sell shovels in a, in a gold rush. And now I think that's what the exchange tokens are. Um, you know, you've got your obvious success stories in BNB, um, Qcoin shares, Huobi token, BitMax. Um, you guys have your own yep. token. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so uh, we have FTT, which is the exchange token of FTX. Um, and, you know, like a lot of other things, you, know, you get uh, lower fees for holding FTT on the platform. There is a weekly buy and burn of a third of the FTX fees, um, you know, into FTT. Um, we also have a few other kind of cool things. So one of them is that you can, uh, you can so we have a sort of attached OTC desk mm -hmm. um, to FTX and you get tighter OTC spreads. Um, with FTT, um, in addition to that, we do a weekly buy and burn of 10% of the net gains of the insurance fund. So sort of as, you know, the insurance fund grows over time, uh, you know, 10% of that will be shuffled back into FTT. Right. Um, and, uh, we've got a bunch of other stuff coming out, including a trading competition that's going to be coming out, uh, you know, about a month which will involve FTT staking. And, and yeah, so FTT, it's, you know, it's an ERC-20 token. It's currently listed on FTX, obviously, but also on Huobi, Bitfinex, Bitmax, Coinex, um, you know, and looking to get it on other places as well. Yeah, and I, I think that's key. Um, you know, you can't just have your exchange token on that exchange. It needs to be a, a wider market because it's got great utility. And I think it's a really good pick for any altcoins out there. I love I love exchange coins. And uh, yeah, I will probably be adding to my bag. Not investment awesome. advice. Please remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, something else you're doing that's really innovative and new, um, your leverage tokens. Can you tell yeah. us a bit more about those? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yes, yeah, so the leverage tokens, what they are is they're ERC-20 tokens that have leveraged price action. And so what that means basically um, is that, you know, we'll take, you know, ETH Bear, for instance, which is a negative 3x ETH token. Mm -hmm. um, it's an ERC-20 token, and whenever ETH goes up 2%, it goes down 6%. Whenever ETH goes down 2%, it goes up 6%. So its price action is just negative three times whatever ETH does. And so it's sort of, you know, buying ETH is sort of like, you know, putting on a negative 3x ETH position. And uh, on the back end, it's sort of trading FTX futures in order to get its leverage. Um, the cool thing about it is that it's it's just a spot token rather than actually, you know, you don't actually interact with it as a margin position. So you don't have to, you know, deal with posting collateral or managing your margin or worrying about liquidations or anything like that. The token does all of that for you. You know, it's sort of automatically, uh, it'll reinvest profits, it'll delever if it loses money to, you know, avoid liquidation risk. And you can just buy them like ERC-20 tokens. So it's, you know, a way cleaner and simpler interface for merchant positions. Then the other cool thing about them is because they are ERC-20 tokens, you can just move them around the blockchain. Um, they can be listed on other platforms. And so we're, we're, you know, working with other exchanges to list the tokens, which allows their customers to get, you know, leveraged access without the exchanges actually needing to list, uh, you know, to, to manage any of that risk themselves. They can just basically outsource that to FTX. And then, you know, conversely allows FTX futures to trade synthetically sort of on other platforms. Yeah, look, it's it's just indicative of the maturity of the space with these kind of financial instruments coming out, and it's magnificent to see. So just for um, our listeners who might not be as experienced with uh, margin trading, uh, long and short positions, the simple way to explain that is if you are short on 
bit cash. I don't know why you'd ever be short on that. Um, but <laughs> if you short on that based on uh, anything that Craig Wright is saying, uh, then you can take out a, a, a short position, a short token from FTX, right? Yep. Excellent. Exactly. Excellent. Fantastic. And if you're long for any other reason, you don't have a managed manage position, you take out the bull leverage token and uh, it all manages itself. Yep, that's absolutely right. Wow, that is amazing. So how long ago was it that you uh, started FTX as an exchange? When, when, when was the first trade made? Uh, so I think that we sort of had a soft, you know, we started working on it late 2018, had sort of a beta up early this year. Soft launch was around March and our sort of grand opening uh, was in uh, late April of uh, of this year. Okay, so about four or five months you've been going in, in earnest. Yep. What kind of uh, growth figures have you seen in that period? Yeah, it's been pretty exciting. So we've seen, um, you know, huge growth in number of users, you know, up to, you know, upwards of, of 10,000 uh, users on the platform. Uh, we have, uh, you know, we've grown to a few hundred million dollars a day of volume on average. Obviously, that sort of moves up and down. Um, you know, with market volumes and volatility, but that's sort of, you know, around where we're averaging. Um, and obviously a lot more publicity, a lot more sort of news and interaction. Um, and, uh, and you know, we're, we're working to onboard a lot more traders to the platform uh, now as well. And, you know, we've also been growing the team a lot during that period as well, you know, especially when it comes to sort of operations and, uh, you know, business development, KYC, um, and uh, a lot of other, you know, areas to support the uh, sort of growing exchange. Yeah. So, you know, come, a bull market is always a very tricky time for exchange. I remember in 2017, people were actually selling their, their Binance logins. Have you built the platform with those kind of metrics in mind? Are you, are, are you uh, afraid of a massive influx of users because of what it will do to the platform? Can you handle that? I think we should be okay there. Um, we think that we have a fair bit of room remaining uh, on that, and you know, as as server load has you know increased, we've been scaling up the technology as well. You know, one of the one of the biggest things that that concerns actually is just like number of products that we list. You know, I think we already have something like a hundred markets on FTX, and you know, every time you know if we want to double the number of markets, you know, we have to make sure that we have the capacity for that. Um, but uh, but we, we have a fair bit of room to grow and a fair, you know, bit of ability to grow at our capacity as well just by sort of, you know, paralyzing the matching engine uh, more. Yeah, yeah, okay. And, and from a user perspective, obviously security and privacy are the biggest uh, points of consideration when it comes to trading a position of any size on an exchange. Can you tell us a bit around your uh, security and, and kind of privacy features that you've got at FTX? Yeah, so I think the first thing I'd say is that, that there's sort of two different security things that security means here. Um, and one of them is, is, you know, physical security of the coins, you know, but given that it's, uh, that it's a margin trading platform, the actual amount of capital that people post is smaller. And a big part of what security means is uh, managing things like liquidation risk. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one thing that we saw a, a lot of, you know, last year was basically massive chains of liquidations on a platform that would cause, you know, massive movements in a futures contract not associated with any change in the underlying tokens. 
um, and then liquidated a ton of people. And then in addition to that, um, there wouldn't be enough funds to cover their losses because their account wouldn't have gotten liquidated in time. And so then other people would end up having to basically foot the bill for that. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, uh, you know, there's actually been, you know, in terms of derivatives platforms, more money lost to clawbacks in the last year than to, you know, theft or, or hacking. You know, a lot of what we've been thinking about is how do we manage that process? How do we ensure there's enough liquidity to support the margin positions and that liquidations won't sort of wreck the platform? And so we've built out a whole new system for that, including, uh, you know, sort of a, a rethought out liquidation engine combined with a backstop liquidity fighter system where basically market makers are ready to jump in and take over uh, positions which are you know, in danger of failing. Um, and then uh, you know, basically with the goal of avoiding ever having uh, you know, any clawbacks on the platform. Um, and then obviously you know, behind that, we also have an insurance fund. Um, so, uh, so we have sort of that three-tiered model there. Um, and then you know, on, on sort of the physical security side, we have uh, you know, pretty standard hot, uh, hot wallet, cold wallet setup. Uh, where you know, users aren't exposed to any losses in the hot wallet, um, and the cold wallet is where uh, you know, the majority of the funds are stored. Excellent. Well, well, that's good to kn- to know. Um, to any of our listeners, I I definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, Sam's a really good CEO. He he's been on a couple of groups that I've been in with some AMAs. So really pushing uh, the growth of the exchange. Where where, where can we uh, find out more about you, Sam, and and look into FTX? Um. Yeah. So uh, and you can go to FTX.com. Uh, and you explore the platform. There's an about page there. If you kind of filter through the help menu, where you can find a little bit more information, you know about about us and about the platform. Uh, we have a Telegram group uh, for English. We have a WeChat, a bunch of WeChat groups in Chinese. You can find information about all these, you know, on the website. Uh, you can find my Twitter. I'm at SBF underscore Alameda, um, and uh, we have a blog on FTX as well, which you can kind of navigate to from the homepage. Excellent. Well, they're all fantastic resources. And uh, like I said, I wish you all the best for the future. And thanks so much for coming on the show, Sam. Thank you. All right. Cheers. See you later. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that show. FTX is a really cool exchange with a lot of really cool products that I really like. They've got the Battle Royale competition starting in the next couple of days, so it's definitely worthwhile checking out. Once again, if you like the show, make sure you rate us five stars And also make sure you follow, tell your friends, retweet, all that kind of good stuff. It really supports the Daily Chain. Thanks so much for listening and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks again to our friends at Etabase, where you can trade the main digital assets with new listings all the time. Etabase are in hypergrowth mode right now with new products like margin and derivatives trading, as well as partnerships and additional features coming soon. Etabase are looking to become your one-stop shop for a full suite of products for decentralized finance. Make sure you check them out at eterbase.com. E-T-E-R-B-A-S-E.com. You've just listened to The Daily Chain Podcast. Make sure you visit thedailychain.com to keep up to date with the latest and most exciting news and projects.